Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello everyone, Rob Guest from Football.London here and welcome to the latest episode of Gold and Guests Hot Tottenham. Unfortunately, we've got a defeat to talk about today following Tottenham's 1-0 loss against Brighton and Hove Albion on Saturday. Joining me as ever, Alistair Gold. Ali, despite the defeat, how, how are you doing? I'm all right, thank you. I want to apologise straight off to everyone for kind of had about a missing week without a podcast, which meant we kind of missed out on the chance to talk about a, a nice win, a 4-0 win at Aston Villa. And instead, uh, my, I was away. I popped away to Sorrento for a few sunny days and I return and we have to talk about a really flat, dismal defeat to Brighton. So that's my fault. That's my comeuppance for going away. Decided to go away for a few days, which is another subject we'll be talking about, no doubt, in a, in a couple of minutes about one of the Tottenham players. Um, but yeah, that was my comeuppance, was a late night flight back next morning, going to a game that was rubbish. It was utterly rubbish. Um, it's one of those where, look, we're probably going to have a little bit of a rant about a few things over the course of this, but we really should caveat straight from the start. You know, Spurs have won, what is it, seven out of their last nine games before this match um, in the Premier League. So we're not saying Tottenham are terrible. We're not saying that the wheels have fallen off and all of this sort of stuff. It was a very bad day at the office. And hopefully we can kind of dig into exactly why that was the case. Yeah, it was rather strange especially considering the past few performances, the big win at Villa. Obviously, after, you know, we've standing Villa's uh, relentless pressure in that first half after Son's goal and then previous week scoring five against Newcastle. I think Conte summed it up brilliantly after the game. I think he's basically saying it's one of those games, if you can't win it, then you can't lose it. You've got to obviously get something from it. And Spurs just, and it was Leander Trossard with the goal, 90th minute, well-taken goal from him, good turn in the area, prodded it home into uh, the bottom corner and Brighton got a second successive win in North London. Uh, but if you're looking at in the Brighton goal at all, uh, I think it was just a couple of blocked efforts from Son during the game. But other than that, they just didn't lay a glove on Brighton. Uh, I mean, what did you think of the performance overall? I mean, you were back in the press box this week, weren't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. If anyone's not aware, I guess he's speaking about the fact that the last home game against Newcastle, I was in the very swanky H club doing a review of it. Um, yes. There's a few people when I got back, I was like, ooh, you're back in the press box now, I'm back amongst us. And it's like, yes, it was just one week. It was just one week having very nice food and being surrounded by Oscar winners and all this sort of stuff. Um, I should have stayed there, quite frankly, because <laughs> this match was flat as anything. And what I found really weird was that before the game, come in the build-up and the warm-ups and everything, the crowd were on it. The crowd was so pumped up. You know, I remember I was kind of look, we were looking around and saying, this looks like a sellout. This is so and the vibe. Everyone was just thinking. You know, Spurs are flying right now. We're going to see another match like that. And it was as if the Tottenham players went, nah, you're right. And they were just so, so flat, a lack of intensity. I mean, something Conte kept saying after the game, and so did Hugo Lloris in his interview. It's like there was no pace to what they did. There was no speed of releasing the ball. Um, and Brighton, look, Brighton were organised. They were well organised. They had a game plan. They came and they executed it perfectly because they won the game. But and I've seen a lot of people say, oh, you know, you've got to give credit to Brighton. I do. I do think you have to in terms of the organisation. But I do think Spurs are as culpable on the day for their performance because I'm sorry. You know, we're going to talk about some of the stats as this goes on. But you don't go from a team that is trouncing people, 4-0, 5-0, 5-1, games like that, going into a match where you don't have a single shot on target at home and that's all the opposition's doing. You know, Spurs were poor. 
Um, and it was just so disappointing. I think we all kind of, maybe that's part of it. Maybe the crowd and, well, not the crowd, because the crowd were excellent, but maybe us as journalists and the players themselves, there's a bit of complacency. Maybe they went into this game thinking, you know, beaten Brighton twice before, this shouldn't be a big issue this time. And we're, um, you know, we're flying at the moment. We've got a goal difference that is absolutely ridiculous compared to what it was, you know, three, four weeks ago. And they just then didn't do all the basics that you have to do. Every game Spurs have played against Brighton this season, they've been tight affairs where Tottenham's just extra little bit of quality and fight has seen them over the line and has just made them pull away. And they just like they forgot they had to do that on Saturday. And that was what was probably the most disappointing thing. But um, now a lot of individual performances, I think, for us to look at. And also a lot of excuses buzzing around out there that, look, I get it. I get when people get annoyed after football, they look for things to blame and to point at. There was, the own, there was no excuse. Tottenham were just poor, collectively. They were poor. I mean, shall we just get straight on to it with Harry Kane at the Masters? Because I think that was a big talking point, wasn't it, for a number of Tottenham yeah. fans after the game. Uh, obviously, we were at Villa Park last Saturday. I was in the mix zone and we tried to speak to Kane, but he was wanted to get away really quickly. And we're just wondering like, why that was. And then on Sunday, he's in Augusta for the final day of the Masters. So that explains why he wanted a quick exit from Villa Park. Uh, yeah, so he was there at the Masters for the final day, returned to Tottenham training on Tuesday. So he's had, what, four full days in training prior to the Brighton game. For me, I know a lot of people uh, putting his poor performance down to being at the Masters. For me, no, I won't be using that as an excuse at all. I don't think that'd be brought up if Spurs had have won that game. Uh, yeah, he's had four full days in training. I mean, I, I can't imagine Kane will have been in economy coming back on, on the <laughs> way back from uh, Georgie Willey. I think no. he'll have been in business class. He'll have been able well, to... Well, probably on a private jet, to be fair. Yeah. You know, it, it would be the most relaxed thing ever. It, it will have been. And it's like... I get it. I get. I think the outrage has come is why has he gone at this point of the season? Um, you know, he's a golf nut. And they were given a couple of days off and all the players went and did whatever they wanted. There weren't restrictions, you know. Obviously, don't go to the moon, probably. But, you know, there's no real restrictions on what they were doing. They're just, all it was, you had to be back in training on Tuesday. Harry Kane was. And it's as simple as that. Yes, he went away. Yes, he went to a different continent. Yes, there is a different time zone. But to be honest, he was barely there for 48 hours. I'd imagine he his body clock probably didn't even get a chance to adjust to American time within that time. And then he was back. And yeah, I was told he was a little bit bleary-eyed on Tuesday when he got back. Um, you know, I'm not entirely sure whether he came back on the Monday night or how it worked. I'd imagine it probably would have had to have been the Monday night he got in, maybe late. But then he's had four full nights sleep, let alone the training. He'd had loads of time. And what I think when people say about this, you know, I've seen people talking about the jet lag, all of this kind of thing. But it wasn't just Kane. Lots of players looked like they'd been to the Masters, you know, and they'd been away in a different continent. And also Kane's done this before. We've had, you know, when, when Spurs went through that really unstable win-loss, 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 pretty much Kane in every loss was looking pretty much like he looked on Saturday. You know, this is not a thing that has happened purely because he went off to America for two days on his days off. Um, yeah, I think there's this... I think we like to be outraged sometimes at things, just just almost for the sake of it. And it's like... I've seen some people accusing him of derailing Tottenham's top four race because he went to a golf tournament for two days on his days off. And I just... I just I do. I do think we have this outrage culture kind of thing. Um, you know, I even saw some people blaming the the song played before kickoff. Can't smile without you. Look, I like that fact. I like that song. I like this. Uh, I like it when it's sung by the fans, especially at away games. It is fantastic and after matches. I agree. It's not a sort of hype up song before a match. You know, you're not going to get a boxer coming into a ring playing that as they walk in. It's not going to be their intro music, but. Did it play any part in Tottenham's performance? Not a single 
you know, Jot did it. It didn't even in the slightest. And, you know, they've won before. And what I'd say is, yes, it's a very nice, I think it's Barry Manilow's song and it's all very pleasant. But at the end of it, the fans did this huge roar, didn't they, before kickoff. They were pumped up. There's, n- I, I think sometimes we look for excuses for footballers and, and teams and stuff. And it was just a bad day at the office. All the players collectively failed to put in the performances they need to. I, I struggled to think of one player that played particularly well. Maybe, maybe Hoybier, you know, but even he had some moments where he lost the ball and he didn't move the ball quick enough. Larice didn't really have much to do. But otherwise, I think you're looking across that pitch and, and you're struggling to find many positives at all. So, yeah, one player going to the golf did not cause that. One song being played before kickoff did not cause that. So I just got to hold your hands up and say that the team were pretty rubbish. And, and I think Conte, you know, perhaps his substitutions as well. Maybe he didn't react particularly well to how Tottenham were playing out there. And, you know, he does have a very set set of substitutes that he makes every week. And I know that's defined perhaps by a lack of options, but, you know, yeah, I'm no um, <laughs> top coach in the world by a long stretch. But I think I maybe would have done a little slightly different things. And it's not in hindsight because I was saying them to you during the game as well. You know, I'd like to see Sessegnon come on because Regulon was non-existent. But uh, yeah, so sorry, that, that ended up being a rant that I said that was going to come. But uh, I don't like the whole excuses thing. I really don't. No, I know some were saying it's a lack of professionalism from Kane. A lack of professionalism is not turning back up at training on Tuesday, you know, going AWOL and that. He was back at training and, as you said, he wasn't the only one who had a a very quiet game. I mean, we'll speak about the front three, but I thought someone who was far from his best was Dan Kulisewski. He's been outstanding for Tottenham since he joined from Juventus. Three goals, six assists in that uh, period. He was brilliant at Aston Villa the week before. But he just didn't have an impact on the game. And we both said it in the first half. He was literally doing nothing, uh, really. Uh, I noticed Pierre-Emile Hoybier a couple of times uh, when he had the ball. There was just no options there for him ahead of him. And he made that clear to the front three on a couple of occasions, just with, you know, gesturing with his arms, like push forward, better movement. And yeah, uh, there was nothing really. And it didn't come as a surprise to see Lucas Mora introduced. It was just after the hour mark when Kulisewski made way. Uh, oh, he did come as... on Lucas, did he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I wasn't sure at some point. Yes, uh, Lucas came on, didn't really have much of an impact. I can't remember what you gave him in play ratings, to be honest, it was, but it, was a f- it wouldn't have been high. Four. I think I gave all the subs a four, to be honest. Yeah, and I mean, Kulisewski wasn't the only one who had a quiet game. Son, as well, uh, had a couple of openings. There was a really good uh, chance for him with Kane from a, a quick throw, something you normally yeah. don't associate with Kane. It was just something off the cuff. The ball was there. Quick throw of the, the Brighton defence. Son took it down well, had a shot, but it was blocked. But other than that, there was no shots on target at all for Tottenham. And yeah, it was just, as you say, just one of those days, really. Yeah, I mean, I was looking at whoscored.com do lots of really good uh, kind of stats um, and then the way they analyse the game, stuff that we obviously wouldn't see live during the game. And they do this uh, average player positions on the pitch. And I found that fascinating was that Tottenham's average player positions, only Kane and Son spent, you know, their average position was just inside the right and a half. And I mean, just inside, just over the centre line, centre circle. Um, with funny enough, Sonny is the, the most advanced player. But then you look at in the Tottenham, the other Tottenham players, they're bunched together. Uh, Kudosevsky's average position is about an inch in front of Emerson Royale, like within his own half. Uh, and that just says it all. And even Benton Kerr and Hoybier in the middle, they're practically, their average position is occupying almost the same spot in front of the penalty area, like a sweeper. And then you look at Brighton's one. Brighton's average positions, they had six players in the Tottenham half, and that's including, you know, Lamptey and, and you know, the, and the other, uh, Kukicella, wasn't it, on the other side? 
Uh, was it could you absolutely murdering the pronunciation there again? Kukureya. Kukureya, that's the one. Um, and yeah, and I think that said it all. They were aggressive. They were on their front foot. They didn't create loads, but they had far more shots on goal. Um, and they were, yeah, they just pushed forward and they, they starved Tottenham's space. And the problem is, is Tottenham normally, if you push high up on them, they're quite good at getting around you and they're quite good at countering and getting behind. And they just weren't. I mean, some of these stats, you know, we talk about Kudosevsky and how withdrawn he was. He touched the ball just 18 times in the match. 1-8. That says it all. You know, he's played just 10 passes, didn't attempt a single shot on goal, a single dribble or try to play a key pass. And for someone, like you said, he's been brilliant for Tottenham since right. Absolutely brilliant. There is no way you can criticise Kudosevsky for what he's done for Tottenham since right because he's been phenomenal. But to see him reduced to a player, who's was was almost like playing like a wing-back and just wasn't getting forward at all. But he's not alone. I mean, Kane's stats, I've got his down here as well. He touched the ball just 27 times and he lost it four times with bad touches and was also dispossessed twice. Like you say, the only two real moments of any quality he had was the um, throw to Son and the flick on to Bergwijn late on. Um, he was poor. Sonny, Sonny had a little bit more involvement. He had a couple of shots on goal. Um, but he, even him, you know, he only played 11 passes, Sonny. And he had five crosses into the box that didn't go to his t- the target. They've just, you know, I think it's said said a lot really that the front three who have created, like, you know, we've talked about their goals and assists in 2022, and they're just obscene the amount they've got. And for for them just to be, I think I kept saying this to you during the game. There's no movement. They're not buzzing around. They're not looking for the ball. It was like all the confidence drained out of them within the first few minutes. Maybe some individual errors, perhaps. Um, but, yeah, like you say, when the midfielders had the ball, or let's say Dyer or Romero or Davies, they were looking up, not a soul there to pass to. They were hidden behind Brighton players. They weren't showing for the ball. Um, and it was really disappointing because there's no reason for it. They're at home. They should have been flying and confident and, and trying to work the ball around Brighton. Um, and, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about this in a minute anyway, but... If you have a team that's packed and organised and compact in front of you, you need to use your width. And the wing backs, they just weren't there to be counted on. They, they were, I don't know what they were doing, quite frankly. I mean, what did you think about the wing backs? Poor, really. Uh, Emerson, probably out of the two, was the one who looked to get forward, but just didn't have an impact in the final third. And, you, you know, when he gets into the final third, you know, you, you're not expecting much from him anyway because sometimes it's a bit like a headless chicken, isn't he? Uh, so, but, I mean, you said to me during the first half, when will we see Sessignon? And we both said probably around the hour mark, given yeah. that's when Conte usually will make first change if things aren't going to plan. And we didn't see him at all. Uh, Reggion, you know, needs to seize his chance in the team because before when Sessignon had that run of six games, Conte's comments did seem to indicate that it's Sessignon's position to lose and Reggion had an awful lot to do to make it his own. And when he has been playing in Sessignon's absence, he's playing the final third, what's let him down, Uh, notably against Brighton uh, at the Amex and West Ham in the following game. And we just didn't see anything from him in the final third. No. Just a Conte team, you need your wing backs to pr- to provide that width and be getting in and around the box either to all, provide yeah. crosses or be in the box to get on the end of crosses. And there was just none of that. Uh, so it wouldn't surprise me if we saw Ryan Sessignon back in the team on Saturday at Brentford. Yeah, I mean, again, sorry to be stat man for the day, but I think it, it just says it all. Emerson Royale, not one dribble forward, not one cross into the box. That's your wing back. On the other side, Sergio Reguilon, not one dribble forward and one cross into the box that was off target. And Reguilon's passing. Only Kane had a worse pass success rate than um, Reguilon. Reguilon's just 61.5 of his 26 passes. Um, you know, it's... 
I don't want to be the Emerson Royale basher. It sounds like I'm going to be a Brazilian basher today as well because I was really disappointed with Lucas as well. But with Emerson, you know, we're now up to 38 appearances, one assist this season. Three of those appearances are Barcelona, but still, look, we all know the scenario with him. We know he's a, a solid right back. He was bought for Nuno's right back. But he is like the perfect example that fullbacks don't automatically equal wingbacks. It's such a different specialist role. Um, and he just, he kind of gets a cheer if he wins a corner because that's the most you can probably expect. He works hard, you know, don't get me wrong. He's not, he's not a terrible player by any shape or form. He's not. Um but he just doesn't have the skill set required to be a wingback. And I think that's why, you know, Conte was pretty tough on the Matt Cash, Matty Cash tackle on Matt Doherty this week. He had another chance to really have a moan about it. Um, and you can see why, because it's robbed him of a very potent threat that he was starting to have down that right-hand side, which, let's be honest, on a day like Saturday... Matt Doherty plays, suddenly you have a whole different dimension down the right-hand side and you can get around Brighton. You've got another attacking player who is not going to sit in his own half. Um, and then on the other side, yeah, Reguilon, really disappointed. Because for me, and I know some people disagree with this, but I feel like Reguilon's got the skill set to become a good wing-back. He just doesn't use it. I don't know whether it's a decision-making thing or some kind of football intelligence when he gets into areas. I don't know. But he's got the pace. He can drive into the box. He can ping. We've seen him ping in really good crosses in the past. And, you know, in the Everton game, when um, Sessegnon went off, Regalon came on and, and scored. So he can he can get in at the back post and score goals as well. But yet, he's really not making that position his own. And I do feel that if they think Sessegnon's fit enough for Saturday at Brentford, I think it's almost a no-brainer to bring him in now. Because it was that devoid of inspiration, the fullback slots. Um, I really do. And, and before he got injured, you know, we were seeing him causing problems. We were seeing him create assists and, and everything. And it was, yeah, I think he has to come in. Um, look, I don't think he's going to do like Doherty on the right. I don't think he's probably going to play regular on the right. You know, there is a point where you wonder will he, in certain games, bring off Emerson a bit earlier and play either a Kulisevsky, a Bergwijn, or a Lucas as a, a wing-back, maybe, just to add a little bit extra. But, um, yeah, the wing-backs, that's such a pivotal position in a Conte system. And I feel without having the ability to get forward, and like I say, their average positions, both of them were deep within their own half, like barely just in front of their own box. Um, and that's not good enough, especially at home as well. It makes no real sense. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, another part of Tottenham's team that just didn't do its job really on Saturday. I think that's what will probably really disappoint Conte is his wing backs didn't offer anything going forward because they're just such a key part of his team. Reggie on a few games ago did the interview in the match day program. Can't remember for which game it was. He basically said Conte isn't too disappointed, you know, if you're in the final third and you, you miss chances what you should take he's more disappointed by the fact that if you're not in and around the box when you should be there either to put a ball in or to be on the end of a cross uh yeah uh i can see a change certainly a left wing back i mean i can't see him changing right wing back because there's just no options for him he's shown nothing really of wanting to put lucas mara there because i think we probably would have seen him there by now if he was going to be there, I can't see him, you know, putting Marcel Lavinier in, uh, the academy player who was on the bench yeah. the other day. I think that'd be a big call. Uh, I just can't see him doing that. And Emerson has been a regular under Conte since he came in. Emerson was the one always playing at right wing back up until, well, the end of February when Matt Doherty got the chance at Leeds and then he took yeah. on the role. So, yeah, for me, it will be Emerson in there. And you Sessignon, don't want to bring Kulisevsky back either. That's the no. problem. I, I get the... I let some people are suggesting that, but I think Saturday aside, you bring him back and you're losing some of the great stuff he's been doing higher up the pitch. Yeah, 
totally agree with that. Uh, I think one player we should talk about, Stephen Bergwijn, was given the final two minutes plus, what was it, five minutes of stoppage time. Did have a yeah. chance to score, but, uh, you know, sliced it wide, unfortunately. Uh, really strange to see Bergwijn coming on two minutes from the end, especially when Tottenham needed a goal. And I think the past few games the past few months, really. Uh, I think Conte's changes have highlighted Bergwijn's thinking in the attacking pecking order because Bergwijn had such a good international break with Holland, three goals in two games, then scored against Newcastle straight after the international break. But it's always Lucas who comes on ahead of him, even when there were, you know, what, four goals to the good or three goals to the good against Newcastle. Four goals to the good against Villa. Lucas comes on before Bergwijn. Lucas then came on 25 minutes from the end against Brighton. Bergwijn got two minutes. Out of the two of them at the moment, surely it's Bergwijn who's the one whose confidence is higher given his recent goal tally. But I think it just shows that Conte clearly trusts Lucas more in the final third rather than Bergwijn. For me, he should have been a lot on a lot, lot earlier than two minutes to go. Yeah, and, and the problem is, look, I'm not saying it's 100% the reason for it, but he is. it's sucking away Bergwijn's confidence. And that's why I, I kind of feel that chance that he had, that was reverting back to pre-confidence Bergwijn. <laughs> that was the kind of chances we were moaning that he was he would you know shank those kind of efforts. He'd slice those kind of shots. Um, in big positions, whereas had Conte been showing that little bit of faith in him, giving him those little moments ahead of Lucas in recent games, I think maybe you see a Bergwijn just confidently, clinically put that away as he did those four goals, you know, a couple of weeks back. Um, I don't understand it. I, I just can't get my head around that one. He, he raves about Bergwijn when he talks about him and says how different a player he is to anyone else. And look. <laughs> Lucas ran incoming. Um, I, I really like Lucas. I do. I do. I think he's got a hell of a lot of qualities and he's given us some huge moments for Tottenham. But the thing that any... I know there's a lot of Lucas fans out there as well, especially any time I say anything derogatory about him, they quickly tell me why I'm wrong, but unfortunately without any real stats. And, and the reason I talk about the stats is that you know, we've spoken about how Kuliseski has kind of been that missing piece of the jigsaw up in the front three, obviously, Saturday aside. And the problem was that <sighs> Lucas doesn't fit that jigsaw. I mean, Jonathan Veal at a game came out with a really good line that he said, the problem with Lucas is that while he also creates chaos when he comes on the pitch for the opposition, it creates chaos for Tottenham as well, because he doesn't really fit any formation they use properly. And it's true. And, and, the biggest failing for me with Lucas is he just doesn't create anything for anyone else. He's such a head-down player. And I was looking at the stats uh, for him. And this isn't even stats. This is just simple goals and assists when you're looking at it, right? Kulisevsky has almost got half already of the 15 assists that Lucas has recorded in the Premier League in four years. Four years! <laughs> it's like, you know, and the difference is Kulisevsky has got almost half of those assists. In 12 matches, Lucas has played 132 times in the Premier League. I said that, or I put that in a piece the other day, and so I still replied, yeah, but I can see how Lucas can come on and change games. It's like, no, listen to those stats. 15 assists in four years in the Premier League. Look, we know he scores in cup competitions and against lower-sided teams and stuff, or sometimes in the biggest of occasions. Of course he does. There's no denying that he can be a big game player. He can score against Ajax. He can score against Man City, Man United and games like that. But his consistency is the big thing for me. And, you know, you know, I know I joked about it earlier in the podcast, but he came on and I wouldn't have even known he was on the pitch. He contributed nothing. There's a couple of times he did classic Lucas where he ran past maybe one person and just gave the ball straight to the opposition. And that's, I think, Bergwijn sees that and he probably thinks, oh, what? What have I got to do to get on that pitch earlier? Even when I'm scoring three goals in my country and I'm coming back and I'm scoring another goal for the club, Lucas will automatically be coming on around the hour mark 
and I'll be sitting here until maybe the final seconds or minutes of the game. Um, and Lucas isn't proving why he deserves to come on. Um, and I, yeah, I, I wonder, there's a part of it that's starting to wonder whether both end up going in the summer. I'm starting to wonder that because I think Bergvine, look, if I'm Stephen Bergvine, I don't stick around next season. I don't because I've got, you know, in Ajax, especially if they match the bid that Spurs want, Ajax are desperate to get Stephen Bergvine back to the Netherlands. He will start every single match for them. Um, I could totally understand if he felt, yeah, I want to go back and be truly loved at a club. Um, and then you look at Lucas, and as I've just kind of pointed out, unless there's an injury to Kulusevski, I don't think he's ever going to be a, a long-term regular starter for Tottenham again because of how well Kulusevski is fitted in. And of course, injuries do change things. It gives people opportunities. Of course they do. But let's say Bergwijn goes... I think Spurs look to bring in another attacking winger, midfielder type, and that person gives Lucas another challenge. So I just wonder whether both of those go and they end up having a two new faces in there. Um, because, yeah, yeah, I, I, don't see, I don't see a way forward for either of them where, other than injuries, they get a persistent run. And I think that's really sad um, because Lucas has, of course, provided those big moments. I still believe Bergwijn's got a lot of potential that hasn't been, is still untapped at Tottenham. Um, but, you know, I still feel that Cessna should have come on ahead of both of them at the weekend. <laughs> I still feel that should have been the first sub. And I think that would have opened up a lot more of Tottenham's attacking intent had he done that. Um, elsewhere, that's when you're struggling, isn't it? I think that's where the bench attacking options wise, you know, you're looking at who else was there? Harvey White. Uh, like you say, Marcel Lavinia on there as well. And then, of course, Harry Winks came on as well. And he didn't really do much at all of note. You know, didn't bring any real fresh impetus to the midfield. So I do wonder whether Conte looks at that bench and just thinks, oh, brilliant, that's, that's going to change the game, isn't it? Um, and that's going to be probably one of the key things of this summer is making sure that he turns to that bench and he's got game changers on there. Yeah, I think if Bergwijn and Lucas are to go, you need two replacements. You can't just bring yeah. one in because next season, fingers crossed, there will be some European football to look forward to. And those are the games where the likes of Lucas, Stephen Bergwijn, will get the majority of their minutes in the campaign. And I think for Bergwijn as well, it's a World Cup year. And he's not guaranteed to get into the Holland squad, despite his recent goal-scoring run for them. Because he wasn't included in the Euro 2020 squad when everyone thought he was going to be a certainty to be in there. For, so for the sake of his career and wanting to play at a World Cup, then yeah, you're probably going to have to say Bergwijn will want to be moving on in the summer. Because he's, he's not going to get the minutes at Tottenham. As bad as the front three, they'll still start. Uh, against Brentford for me. Yeah. So it's not a good situation for Bergwijn, really. Do you replace one of them with a striker slash winger? Someone that, you know, maybe that's where you look at getting in your cane backup who can also play out wide if, recovered, uh, if required? Probably, because then that saves you bringing in three new attackers, doesn't it? Going for one yeah. out-and-out striker and then two wingers and then obviously that saves you money in uh, the process what you can then put towards other deals so yeah uh, that's the one probably what I'd go for because you know what Spurs are like in terms of bringing in an out and out striker we've been <laughs> waiting for quite some time haven't we for uh, someone to come back in we unless Carlos Vinicius is coming back exactly what I was going to say we were talking about Carlos weren't we Vinny yeah. goes away from Tottenham Wins a trophy. <laughs> Just picked up the Dutch Cup with PSV. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I, I think you're right with that. A winger slash striker and then another winger. So, big summer coming up for Conte anyway. Uh, a number of decisions to make either way. In terms of the top four race then, say the full-time whistle I mean, it was a big opportunity missed for Tottenham just to ex extend that lead to six points over Arsenal and then, you know, just up the pressure on them going into the Southampton game. But then they went and lost at St Mary's, uh, made it three defeats uh, on the trot for them. They're not having a very good run of form at the moment. 
Manchester United managed to beat Norwich, uh, bottom of the table Norwich, by three goals to two with a Cristiano Ronaldo hat-trick. West Ham then dropped by points uh, against Burnley yesterday following a 1-1 draw. So if Spurs managed to pick up those three points, you'd be thinking in a couple of weeks, provided they can keep on the good form, top four could be done and dusted. But then what well, this weekend's shown you, nothing's going to be straightforward. There's going to be plenty of twists and turns in the top four race. And it's a big week coming up in the top four race before Spurs even play against Brentford in the Saturday evening kickoff. Because tomorrow night, you've got Liverpool against Manchester United. On paper, I know we say this all the time, but you would not expect United to get anything at Anfield. Uh, they lost 5-0 in the reverse fixture back in October. You just can't see them getting anything there. Wednesday, Arsenal have their game in hand away at Chelsea. Very tough game uh, for them at Stamford Bridge. I think they won there last season, but with them going into it, three games on the bounce without a win, it's going to be a big ask of them. And then on Saturday lunchtime, before Spurs play Brentford, Arsenal and Manchester United play each other at the Emirates. Now, this is a big game because it's one, obviously, neither can afford to lose, but they can't really afford to draw. Actually, depending on how results go during the week, Spurs could, you know, have a nice cushion if they can win at Brentford. So, big week coming up and I think it's just how Tottenham respond after Saturday's setback. Yeah, it's what makes Saturday all the more frustrating, like you say. Had they won that, they'd have taken control. They'd had such a grip on, on that top four, at, at that fourth place and and had, you know, if this week plays out as all, all Spurs fans hope it does, then yeah, Spurs... I'm not going to say they would have been there, you know, done and dusted, but my goodness, you know, they'd have been on 60 points uh, and potentially everyone behind them could have been, yeah, sitting there six points, let's say, behind them with a far inferior goal difference. And it's like, oh, you've absolutely chucked away that opportunity uh, because this is the key, the goal difference as well in changing so much. It's almost like an extra point now that Spurs have got. Um because obviously, yeah, to have a week where they're both playing away at probably the toughest sides that they could currently play, you know, like you say, Liverpool have to win in the title race. They will be flying. They'll be at home. Chelsea kind of mixed up their team a bit for the Palace um, semi-final as well. So they'll have certain players that will be still be quite fresh. Um, and then for United and Arsenal to be playing each other on the Saturday, which obviously... Spurs fans, no doubt, will all just be wanting a, a scrappy 1-1 uh, draw and, and something, uh, or 0-0 draw. And yeah, then it does put the pressure on Spurs again to go to a Brentford team who, I think they've won three in a row. They're flying at the moment, Brentford. And a certain Dane in their midfield as, as well. Um, it's, yeah, Spurs need to hope things go their way. This is a, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, Arsenal mess up three matches that you'd expect them to win and then they go and pull off a, a result or two this week that you really didn't expect them to. Um, you know, I've been speaking to a few Arsenal fans I know this week and they're just, they just don't feel that they're scoring goals. You know, Obviously, they've got injuries at the moment as well, so they're looking shaky kind of at both sides of the pitch. But there's just something about them sometimes when they play the bigger teams, whether they're the underdogs, where they... They probably produced their best football of the season at times. So, yeah, I'd be intrigued to see how that works at Stamford Bridge on Wednesday night. That's going to be a hell of a game. Um, I just hope, for Spurs' perspective, that Chelsea have got enough um, desire to win the game because it's probably not going to be the biggest game in their kind of remainder of the season. Obviously, they've now got an FA Cup final. Obviously, they don't want to get themselves caught in third place. I mean, they are what, five points ahead of Spurs, so it's probably unlikely. Um, so you could do with them really winning that. But, I mean, I was just looking at just looking at the running. This is the thing as well. It's that that horrific term we constantly use on paper. Um, Spurs running should be the best out of the four teams in the running, in the chase for top four. I mean, I was looking at it. Yeah. Brentford away, Leicester at home. And that Leicester game is now sandwiched between Leicester's um, Conference League semi-final legs. 
And then you've got Liverpool away, which, of course, is the one that's going to be the toughest out of the bunch. North London derby, Burnley at home, Norwich away. On paper, with huge quote marks around it, you know, they should be aiming to get the bulk of the points in those games. If they play like they did on Saturday, they're not going to get any points out of any of those games. But then you look at the other teams. You've got Arsenal, Chelsea, Man U, West Ham, Leeds, North London Derby, Newcastle, Everton. You know, that is a hell of a run-in to have to contend with. Even Man United, Liverpool away, Arsenal away, Brentford at home, Brighton away, Chelsea at home, Palace away. That's a tough end to the season. And even West Ham, who, you know, again, I know a few West Ham fans, and I think they're kind of counting themselves out of the top four race now, that their kind of focus is on that Europa League. Um and obviously the semi-final they've got. But even West Ham's final fixtures, you know, we know what obviously has just happened against Burnley. Uh, they couldn't, couldn't win that one. And now they've got Chelsea away, Arsenal at home, Norwich away, Man City at home, and then they finish off the season at Brighton. So their game's on. As well as, I think, the, you know, the expression you used earlier, twists and turns, there are so many still to come. I think there'll be some of those games where, on paper, the teams that should win don't. Or the team that should lose suddenly don't and they win. Um, but yeah, it's oh man, it's all going to be such a pressurized last few weeks of the season. And it's about who stands up and is able to handle that pressure. And that's kind of what Conte was saying on Saturday that he wants that match to be a lesson to the players that you've got to take the pressure and learn from it. Um, because you know, if you're going to do that against. Brighton at home, with no disrespect to Brighton, who have beaten Man City and beaten Arsenal away, you know, and, um, you still should be winning those games. Um, and that's the same with Saturday. However good Brentford have been and however much Christian Eriksen is going to be the narrative of the match, Tottenham should be winning that game. And they just, but they have to fight for it. Yeah, most definitely. I think even just... Getting a point against Brighton would probably help so much yeah. because potentially he could. I know Spurs have this superior goal difference, like you say, is worth an extra point, but could be in a situation where you do need that extra point. So for Tottenham, it's just how they respond. And the good thing for me is in January and February, when they were losing games, they respond straight away and won. So you're thinking, Fingers crossed, everything will go to plan at Brentford and they will get uh, the points on the board. But Spurs just need to concentrate on themselves. Uh, there's an awful lot of football still to be played in this season. And as I says, there's going to be a lot of twists and turns still. You're thinking like if everything potentially goes to plan, looking at those fixtures, maybe Spurs could even wrap it up. Champions League football when Arsenal do come to Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. But Arsenal, you know, we've seen it this season. They can get some results. They could get a result at Stamford Bridge. You won't put it past them. So for me, Spurs just got to concentrate on themselves, just keep getting the three points. Some certainly tough games coming up, but the running certainly isn't as tough as Arsenal's, Manchester United's and then West Ham. So, yeah. Fingers crossed that we'll manage to get over the line and so up fourth. But Brentford on Saturday, certainly going to be tough. I think they've improved dramatically since Christian Eriksen's come into the team. Five wins in the last six. I thought probably six weeks ago, Brentford would end up dropping from the Premier League because they just had a really bad run of form and they just couldn't get a result. And you always get a team who during the season, mid-season, they're looking, you know, in a decent position in mid-table and then they just free-fall. And that appeared to be Brentford. Uh, five wins from the last six. Two of those against Champions League hopefuls in Chelsea. What a brilliant win at Stamford Bridge a couple of weeks ago. Was it 4-1? Then beat West Ham 2-0. Uh, got another good win uh, this weekend against Watford. A late win. Brentford are on form at the moment and they'll be confident of, you know, carrying on uh, the recent good run and pushing up for uh, a top half finish. So by all means, not going to be an easy game at all for Tottenham. No, it really isn't. And uh, and a first chance for us to go to the uh, Brentford Community Stadium as well. And a new stadium for us to tick off the list. Um, 
yeah, they're, they're going to come into it full of confidence at home. And yeah, the Christian Eriksen factor, of course, has to play a part. He's going to be wanting to put on a show. He's going to want to show that, you know, as he did against Chelsea, that he's still more than capable of putting in big performances against the big teams. And, and he'll want to show his former employers, you know, look what, or perhaps you could have, because we don't know what this summer's going to bring. I mean, would you bring Christian Eriksen back to Tottenham Hotspur if you could? Yeah, most definitely. I think every Tottenham fan would uh, certainly want him back. Uh, big decision, though, for him. Does he stay with Brentford, who gave him a chance, or does he move elsewhere? I know he's out of contract, isn't he, uh, Brentford, at the end of this season. It was only a short-term deal. And he's going to have a number of clubs looking at him. So, yeah, really big call for him to make. I think a lot of fans will probably be hopeful. This is football fans in general, probably be hopeful. Mm. He, do, he does stay with Brentford. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he's interesting one, definitely. Yeah, I think, I think the key for Tottenham, if they were to look at bringing him back, is, well, there's lots of factors to it. He's free. <laughs> that's, that's always a big factor for Tottenham Hotspur. And we know Paratici likes a free transfer. Does he fill a need within Tottenham's squad? Yes, I think he does. I think he solves the absence of a playmaker they've had since Christian Eriksen left, um, ironically replacing himself. I think the, the key for me is as long as Tottenham get this new... Um, this I don't want to say new Christian Eriksen. Yeah, I suppose it is a new version of Christian Eriksen. One that obviously, let's be honest, as anyone would in this scenario, he's got that second lease of life because of the horrific thing that happened to him. He is, he's probably, hopefully, I'm sure he is, just cherishing every moment he's got now. And I think you can see that in the way he's playing his football. And medically, everything's been signed off that he's absolutely fine to play. So... If you're getting a version of Christian Eriksen, albeit a new version, that is closer to the one, let's say, Christian Eriksen 2017-18, but obviously with added experience, compared to the Christian Eriksen that, let's be honest, most Spurs fans were probably not happy to see out the door, but resigned to the fact that he was going and he was no longer putting in the performances they knew he could. If it's this new version, I think it's a massive addition to Tottenham. I do. Um I'd be intrigued to see what it would mean for the system, you know, how that would change. Uh, but it was interesting that when Conte was talking about Harry Kane, uh, about, was it a week or two ago, he was saying about the fact that he doesn't want him as a number 10. He wants him as a number nine, and eventually he'll have another number 10. Ericsson fits that like a glove. He really does. And he knows Tottenham inside out. Um and I think coming back as a very different Christian Eriksen, still with that point to prove, and let's, fingers crossed, if Spurs are able to get into the Champions League, you know, you're able to offer in Champions League football as well, I think it's almost a no-brainer. But like you say, I totally would understand if he feels a certain loyalty to Brentford as the team that gave him that opportunity when he was, um, you know, obviously coming back into the game and the big teams weren't looking at him. They just weren't, you know, they didn't happen. Um, and I think if he is able to continue the momentum he's currently got, I do think he'd start every week for Spurs again. I think he probably would. So I don't think it's a case of him coming to Spurs and not playing every week like he would at Brentford. Um, yeah, and he's a bit of experience. Comes back as a winner. You know, I know he won at Ajax. He won the league title uh, a few times, I think. But he's coming back, having gone away from Spurs and won Serie A with Conte. He knows Conte inside out. Conte knows him inside out. Interestingly, it didn't look like they gelled brilliantly to begin with. I think he had to work out exactly where Ericsson would fit in his team. But as the season wore on, Ericsson was playing a lot of football. And, and yeah, and they won Serie A together. So knowing that he fits the Premier League as well as he does, seeing what he's doing and that Spurs, you know, if you've got the opportunity to, I mean, let's say they bring in Sam Johnson as a goalkeeper for free. If they bring in Christian Eriksen for free and he replaces, I don't know, let's say he's replacing Lucas or a Bergvine, you are, you know, you're, and this is, I know fans hate when we talk about money and saving money and all this sort of stuff. 
But maybe think of it, the fact that if you're bringing in two very good free transfers, you can push your budget away to other areas you really need. and You can spend a bit of money. Um, yeah, I'd love to see Ericsson back. As, as, as difficult as he is for us to get in the mix zone when he puts that phone to his ear and pretends he's got a phone call, I think for Tottenham, it'd be fantastic. And, and no, to be fair to him, when you get him to interview, he's really honest and interesting. Um, and it would be a lovely story. It would be a lovely story for him to come back to Tottenham. And I, I'd be intrigued to know, I mean, if people listen to this and want to reply to us in tweets or whatever, I'd be interested to know, for those who wanted him gone in that last year when... You know, his heart didn't look... I wouldn't say his heart didn't look in it. Maybe that's too harsh. But he, he was in a rut. and He wasn't playing well. He looked like he'd lost his confidence. You know, it came a joke, as it is with Harry Kane now, you know, but Ericsson's free kicks were very rarely kind of causing any problems as well. Although I think he did score like a, defect, a deflected one, didn't he? Not too long before he left, I feel like. I can't remember who it was against. Norwich away. He yeah. scored the free yeah, kick, did he? Yeah, I think it could be. Um, but I'd be intrigued to know were those people that desperately or not desperately but just wanted him gone would you now take him back in this current version of himself because I think yeah I mean I don't know what it would mean for Kulusevski um, but then I think that's the key maybe we need to not think like that maybe we don't shouldn't be thinking what does it mean for this player and instead we think what brilliant competition and how the squad is suddenly stronger and then that bench like we said earlier has game changes on it yeah, totally agree with you. Uh, need some, you need more options on the bench. I think that was perfectly clear on Saturday. It'd just be interesting to see where Ericsson would fit in, whether he would just come in and take Kulisewski's place on the right, or would Conte then switch to a three-five-two, have Ericsson as the number ten with Son and Kane up front. Yeah, Certainly gives uh, deeper, dropping deeper into the midfield as well at times to help have a deep line playmaker. Yeah. Or does Kulisewski then move to play as a right wing back if you're yeah. playing Ericsson further in? Yeah, so. exactly. Or maybe Ericsson, as he gets older, perhaps he it's him and one other. Maybe it's him and a Bentonker, or him and a Skip, or him and a Hoybier. Maybe, you know, Christian Ericsson evolves into a bit of a different player as well, perhaps. Yeah, so Ericsson coming back this summer. Uh, a return for Carlos Vinicius as well, as we've mentioned. <laughs> I'm not entirely certain Vinicius really was a Premier League striker. I'm still not entirely sure. But he did what he had to in, in cup competitions, definitely. Yeah, and we'll always have that hat-trick away at Marine and the celebration and, like he just won the World <laughs> Cup. Pumping <laughs> his fist into the faces of those hard-working volunteers at Marine on the sideline. <laughs> Right, I think we'll leave that there for today's latest episode of Golden Guests Hot Hotnam. Uh, we'll be back next week to hopefully reflect on the win at Brentford and then look ahead to the home game against Leicester. So as ever, thank you for joining us and just keep with us at football.london for all your latest Tottenham news.